It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 217. And although last week we looked at a post-Queen world, I, I think this week we need to reflect on that extraordinary funeral on Monday. Today, as I'm recording this, it's Thursday, and in Australia, we have a public holiday to mourn the death of the Queen. So you see part of the impact involved. Now, I know some of you probably fed up with all of this, and you could argue it's been greatly overdone. But I want us to reflect on this in in different ways. using the music from the funeral and looking at world events at the moment and then finishing up with some of the church's reaction to it. So I thought it was appropriate that the funeral began with this. The day thou gavest, Lord, is ended. Well, it it is ended. That is the end for Her Majesty, or as was said in the funeral, our sister Elizabeth. Um, By the way, I I have to say about the funeral overall, uh, nobody does pomp and ceremony like the British. I thought it was absolutely immaculate. I thought the whole thing was deeply moving, and I love the fact that the Queen planned her own funeral. And for that reason... Uh, I was enormously grateful for Cranmer and the Book of Common Prayer. I was enormously grateful that it wasn't an interfaith service. And I was enormously grateful for its dignity, the fact that Elton John wasn't singing, it wasn't celebrity, and in the main service itself, the emphasis arranged by the Queen was not on herself, but on humanity and above all God, our frailty and our going to the eternity of God. It really was, as my <coughs> friend Stephen McAlpine pointed out, perhaps the last transcendent moment in public life in uh, the Western world. But how important was it? Sir Lindsay Hoyle had no doubt. We should not allow anything to overshadow the most important event the world will ever see, and that's the funeral of Her Majesty. Did you pick that up? He's saying this is the most important event the world will ever see. What got me was, I think it was Archbishop Sentinu sitting, nodding his head along. No, it's not the most important event the world will ever see. The funeral of Queen Elizabeth II was not the most important event the world will ever see. I would say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would say the birth of Jesus Christ, I would say the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I would say there are many other things actually that are much more 
important than this funeral. But I think that indicates the level of irrationality and hyperbole that exists within our culture. And perhaps no one more answered that than the Queen herself by choosing this hymn. That is, love divine, all love's excelling. And I love especially the last bit where she states that, or where the hymn states, we cast our crowns before thee. You'll notice in the funeral, the crown was on the coffin, and at the end, before it was lowered into the crypt, the crown was taken off, and I think it was the BBC commentator who wonderfully said, this is a symbol of her earthly reign, just her earthly reign. Now, one of the aspects of the funeral, which it was, as I said, it was good to see that it was Christian, but there were representatives of different faiths there, and I thought that was as it should be. But you know, religion doesn't bring peace to this world. In fact, in the Queen's reign, we have seen a dramatic shift within the United Kingdom, and perhaps this event on the weekend of the funeral is indicative of a deeper problem to come. Sectarian violence on the streets of Leicester. It was the weekend of the Queen's funeral, and with many officers deployed to London, those left struggled to hold back the aggressors. It had started on Saturday, when a group of mainly Hindu men marched two and a half miles to the east of the city, which is predominantly Muslim. Come on, look, you've got a weapon in his hand and you're allowing it. Man's got a weapon and you're allowing it. There was serious rioting and fighting between Muslims and Hindus in Leicester, in the English city of Leicester. In the report, you may have picked up something about the eastern side of Leicester being the Muslim side. 
we really have got this level of religious sectarianism. Now, you got this in the UK, particularly in, in Glasgow and Liverpool and in Belfast, uh, between Catholic and Protestant. But we are now seeing imported into the United Kingdom from the subcontinent the religious divisions uh, between Hindu and Muslim. And that's, I think, going to be uh, a feature. I think that was a foretaste of stuff that is to come. And then we talk about religious division. The Dalai Lama, there was news came this week of Trinity College in Ireland who had were going to honour the Dalai Lama, but the Irish government, Mary McAleese, uh, basically contacted them on behalf of the Chinese government and was basically scared that the Chinese government would punish Ireland for it. So, you know, you have all these wonderful progressives and they're all for liberty and they're all for, oh, they like Buddhism, Buddhism's great, but they're not going to let their colleges honour the Dalai Lama if, if it upsets the communist Chinese. You know, again, I'm thinking, you know, in, in terms of religion, how all religions are the same. No, they're not. All religions are not the same. And in Christianity, we talk about the Lord being our shepherd. But we talk about Jesus being the Lord, Jesus being God. And it was good to see in the funeral that that was explicitly stated because of the Book of Common Prayer. But Christ as the Son of God is something, of course, that Muslims do not accept. Uh, and Hindus do not accept, certainly in the way that we would uh, describe it. It is a big mistake to do that. But let's hear a little bit of the Lord is my shepherd. That's Psalm 23 to the tune Crimmant. Now again, just, just an interesting cultural factor involved in that. I noticed in the funeral some people weren't singing and many who were singing were looking at the order of their service to get the words. But what, what intrigued me were people like Princess Anne who could sing them from heart. There was a time when most of the British population would know the words to Psalm 23 or Psalm 100, when they would be able to say the Lord's Prayer. Remember in the film A Bridge Too Far at the end, when the soldiers in Arnhem are waiting, British soldiers are waiting to be taken prisoner, they're lying there wounded, injured and dying, and they burst into song, Abide With Me. Well, every one of those soldiers would have known, Abide With Me. I think, again, in the Queen's reign, 
This is why I think the funeral was so significant. It's possibly the last time that we will have a public funeral like that. Okay, um, let's think another aspect about this world. So, the Queen ruled over the British Commonwealth, which was uh, a massive area, large number of countries, and was a symbol of freedom, even as a hereditary monarchy. Now, a lot of the freedoms that we have taken for granted in the Western world, and freedoms that have been emulated in other countries, sometimes because of the British Empire. And by the way, th there has been this uh, attack on the Queen. I've heard people here in Australia who, who, they think this is clever, they think this is smart, they're saying she represented a, a genocidal regime. Well, I don't think she did. And here is a clip from uh, Bill Maher. It's just, it's a thing gathered together from a longer talk that he gave, but you get the point. Presentism, which means judging everyone in the past by the standards of the present. It's the belief that people who lived 100 or 500 or 1,000 years ago really should have known better. <laughs> it's like getting mad at yourself for not knowing what you know now when you were 10. Did Columbus commit atrocities? Of course. But people back then were generally atrocious. Everybody who could afford one had a slave. The Sumerians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, Romans, the Arabs, British, the early Americans. The word slave comes from Slav because so many Slavic people were enslaved and they're as white as the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> but in today's world, when truth conflicts with narrative, it's the truth that has to apologize. Being woke is like a magic moral time machine where you judge everybody against what you imagine you would have done in 1066 and you always win. <laughs> a couple of years ago, they made a movie called The Aeronauts about the scientists who broke the record for the highest altitude in a balloon. In fact, they were both men, but the movie made one of them a woman because as the director explained, representation is important. So true. Women never get enough credit for the things they didn't do. See, that's what's called presentism. Judging the past by the standards of the present. Now, there's an element in which I think we end up doing that. But how do we know what truth is? You see, one of the things about the Queen's funeral is that the surety and the certainty of it came from these ancient words, came from the fact that it was based on the word of God, not the Queen's opinions, not the Queen's politics, and not our current politics either. But we've now gone into a world where people dismiss truth, or the only truth that matters is their story. In the Bill Maher clip, you'll notice this, he says, narrative trumps truth. And that is that is the case. People they don't really care what the truth is. They care what they feel or who's on their side. You know, you see big signs of that and little signs of that in terms of freedom. But I was quite intrigued here in Australia that Daniel Andrews MP, who's uh, likely to be re-elected as the Premier of the state of Victoria, despite the fact that he's one of the most authoritarian leaders in the world, in my view, He's introducing a $920 fine for bushwalking off a path. Um, you, you can't do that anymore. 
We're moving into an area in the Western world where government and big tech control so much of our lives. There is a guy called Toby Young who runs a skeptics group. And it's actually got some really good information. Well, PayPal have just said that they will no longer accept his account or the skeptics account, which will cost them a lot of money in terms of fundraising and so on. And why? Because it says that they were in violation of its acceptable use policy. Now, they don't say what it is, but I, I suspect PayPal is does, just doesn't like his political opinions. And again, I think we're moving into this world where you've kind of, we've gone from what people would think, some people think was an acceptable, some an unacceptable authority of a monarch or a government to now an authoritarianism coming from governments and the big corporations. Well, what about war? The, the Queen came to power just after the Second World War. There have been many wars that the United Kingdom has been involved in since then, and she is commander of the armed forces. Well, what's happening in the world at war? Here's news from the Ukraine war. I want to remind those who allow themselves such statements about Russia that our country also has a variety of weapons of destruction. And if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will, without question, use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. That's President Putin up in the ante as regards Ukraine. Now, some people think, and we get told in the Western press, that he's been criticised for this war within Russia. Indeed he is, and I'm sure he's criticised, if, he, if they're permitted to, by people who are opposed to it. But he's also criticised by people who are saying he's going too soft and he needs to be a lot harder. And the irony is that if the Ukrainians are successful, then we are likely to see uh, that stepped up and even the possibility or the threat of nuclear war, which is what's being talked about today. And speaking of that, in Taiwan, again, Joe Biden has once again said that the US would defend Taiwan in the event of an unprecedented attack by China. Now, after this, these remarks were broadcast by CBS, the White House said the US policy had not changed. But it has changed because now they're being clear that they will fight for Taiwan if Joe Biden, and it's a big if, if it is to be believed. It's interesting. Wars won't cease, will it, until the King of Peace returns. All right, let's have another piece of music from the funeral, this beautiful, peaceful version of Psalm 42.
Now, another aspect of the Queen's death is the end of the era aspect, but I think it's an end of an era where, to some degree, rationality, truth, sanity, if you like, um, were considered just really, really important. And I want to suggest that we are increasingly moving into a world where, and even the Queen wasn't able to prevent this, where irrationality reigns. So I'll just give you one example this week. This is a headline in the Irish Times. I am a gay man in a straight woman's body. If I were to speak to my husband about this, it could end our marriage. So this is a woman who says that she's a man, but she's in a straight woman's body. You mean, basically, it's a woman who is physically attracted to or likes men, but says she's not a woman. She's a, I mean, you try making sense of that in any world. But here's the thing. It's the Irish Times who are publishing it as, as a story worthy of note. Tell me about it. I love my family, the article says. I wouldn't want to lose them for anything. Should I start the transition process? I really don't know what to do. You know, we have, we have moved into this chaotic world. At the beginning of the Bible, it talks about the world being in chaos and God creating the world out of that chaos and creating order. And it seems to me that as we are rejecting order, we are descending into chaos. And it does make you lament. I was at a meeting this week where a number of intelligent leaders within the community around here, it was they were just so confused about so many different things. What is truth? How do we know what truth is? How can we deal with all these mental health problems and other issues that are occurring? We would lament. And speaking of lament, wasn't this beautiful at the end? This was probably the highlight for me at St. George's Chapel as the Queen's body is lowered, the piper plays and then gradually fades. So, you could look at the Queen's funeral and say, with that music and with the things that are going on, it's just kind of depressing, isn't it? And yet, there's great hope that we've got. And that's the hope held out in the Gospel. Now, there's just, again, some stories here this week. And uh, a Palestinian farmer, for example, has discovered a Byzantine floor mosaic while attempting to plant an olive tree on his land in Gaza. Salman al-Nabjin said he and his son were digging in the ground when they unearthed the relics, and the experts have described it as one of the greatest treasures ever found in Gaza. That would be something they think from 1,500 years ago, and again, evidence of the gospel having power in the sense of working within that very troubled area of the world. Now, Prince Charles has sworn to be defender of the faith, not defender of faith. 
Charles had told John, Jonathan Dimbleby that he would much rather see it as defender of faith, which was in 1994, he said this, not the faith because it means just one particular interpretation of the faith, which I think is sometimes something that causes a great deal of problem, has done for hundreds of years. Now, you see what Charles is saying is he thinks that the faith or faith is the same for Muslims, Hindus, Christians, and so on, but it's not. In fact, this is where... I have a lot of sympathy with my atheist friends because I think religion causes a great deal of trouble. I think faith without Christ is po- not only pointless, but harmful. Now, we will see what happens with Charles if he upholds his vow. But it is concerning. His his statements on Islam later as well were also uh, extremely concerning. I... Well, we'll come back to Charles in a moment. But within the church, how the church reacted to this, you always get this from charismatics saying, we sense a prophetic move and, you know, there's going to be, you know, revivals just around the corner to kind of more liberals or others going, the funeral has shown a latent spirituality um, and the church now is to connect people to that. I think we overemphasize, we overanalyze in all of that. I think we always need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, but we mustn't assume that cultural events that happen are usually the way that that does happen. I don't think that's usually the case. It can happen. Um, I heard, even heard people say this. They said, this is the greatest gospel sermon preached to four billion people. Well, first of all, it wasn't four billion. It was almost certainly about around two. Um, and was it the gospel? Here's a little of what Justin Welby said. Her late majesty famously declared on a 21st birthday broadcast that her whole life would be dedicated to serving the nation and commonwealth. Rarely has such a promise been so well kept. Few leaders receive the outpouring of love that we have seen. Jesus, who in our reading does not tell his disciples how to follow, but who to follow, said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Her late Majesty's example was not set through her position or her ambition, but through whom she followed. I know His Majesty shares the same faith and hope in Jesus Christ as His mother, the same sense of service and duty, in 1953, now, I think there are two different reactions to that, two extremes. One is, they say, people say, oh, it was rubbish, he didn't preach the gospel, and da, 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 and didn't point to Christ. And I think that's not true. I think he did point to Christ, and he did hint at our need for him. But no, it wasn't the greatest gospel sermon ever preached. And in fact, I don't think it was the gospel at all. Yes, he mentioned Christ, and yes, he mentioned the resurrection, But 
in our postmodern world, you could interpret that any way you want. It, it wasn't a, a clear sound. I'm glad that he talked about Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I'm glad that he talked about the necessity to follow Jesus. I think he did anyway. I was intrigued that he said his majesty, that's King Charles, shares the same faith and hope in Jesus Christ as his mother. Well, that will be interesting to see. We'll see how his first Christmas broadcast goes. But even phrases like, we will all face the merciful judgment of God. Now, I love that because I thought he's talking about the judgment. And then I realized he's saying the merciful judgment. And and if I, as a non-Christian, am listening to that, I'm thinking, oh, God's going to be merciful to me. And this hope in life and death inspired her servant leadership. Well, I just need to be a little bit of inspiration. I'm not a sinner. I don't need forgiven. You know, I, I, I don't need a new heart. I don't need to be born again. I just need a wee bit of inspiration. Just like the queen had. And you do some good works some faith in humanity. Faith in Jesus, if you like, as the ultimate human. I'll tell you what. If any of you know of anyone who's become a Christian through that sermon, please let me know. I'd love to be proven wrong on that one. But speaking of that hope, let me finish with this. A.N. Wilson wrote a beautiful essay in The Spectator. I once asked her sister, Princess Margaret, whether she was one of those many people who had dreams about the Queen. She was. She said it was always the same dream, that she had done something wrong of which the Queen furiously disapproved. One might suppose this was simply a case of the princess's dream life reflecting reality. But she said, the Queen is not in fact a censorious person and she's never criticised me personally in waking life, only in my dreams. When I wake up after such a dream, I feel utterly wretched, as if I've been shut out of the love of God. I wake much later than she does, but when I've had such a dream, I always have to ring her up, even if it's mid-morning and she's at work. I simply pick up the receiver, ring, and she says, hello. I say, hello, and ring off. All is well. I hear the voice. I know that I still have her love. Now, I love that because the Christian can never lose the love of Jesus. So I'm going to leave you with this last piece. Uh, James Macmillan, the Catholic composer from Scotland, setting Romans 8. I love James. Love his music. This is absolutely astonishing. And it's about how we cannot lose. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Indeed. Hallelujah. Feel free to go to the Ask website, www.ask.org.au, to see our new website. You can stick with the Weefly as well, and you'll get, we'll put up some links and so on to the various things here, though, of course, most of it just comes from the Royal Funeral. You can support us at the Podbean Fundraiser. 
and uh, let me know what you're thinking and we'll i think we'll be back to normal next week although what is normal in this mad mad world is highly questionable god bless you and see you then bye